Welcome to the PBO Podcast, Politics and Brown Liquor. Your host here, E. Vandervliet, with his trusted canine sidekick, Woody, where we bring you the news raw, unfiltered, and with no chaser. And in this episode of the PBO Podcast, we're going to get into Sidney Powell's lawsuits. That's right. She's released the Kraken in both Michigan and Georgia. So the question is, well, does she got anything? Will these lead to uh, either the states recertifying their elections for Trump or tossing out ballots, which gives it Trump a win, they got to recertify anyway, or does it uh, prevent them from going to the Electoral College? In a nutshell, both of her lawsuits kind of are similar, but there's some key elements to each one that are different. What's kind of similar is they got tons and tons and tons of affidavits of witnesses who said that there was basically what they call old-fashioned ballot stuffing. That's out of both of them, but there are a couple of different elements to each one. So let's get into both of these. Let's start with Michigan. And by the way, it's interesting. Um, I used to live in Michigan, um, lived there as a young lad for many a years, and I currently reside in Georgia. So both of these states, uh, yeah, I guess I have a connection more, more so to Georgia than Michigan, but I did live in Michigan for quite a while. So in Michigan, this is from the Federalist paper, Sydney Powell's bombshell Michigan election lawsuit explained. So we'll go through this article and use it to talk about what's going on, what her, her lawsuit in Michigan. Now, she filed both of these in, I think, right close to midnight on Wednesday, right before uh, we went into the Thanksgiving holiday. So uh, this from the Michigan article. is dated November 27th at 7.57 a.m. M. Uh, Marmy, Marmy Rook wrote this. Prominent appellate lawyer Sidney Powell has been working independently of the Trump campaign to set aside the presidential election results in Michigan. Uh, the lawsuit she filed on Wednesday claims that hundreds of thousands of illegal, ineligible, duplicate, or purely fictitious ballots aided by massive election fraud gave her gave former Vice President Joe Biden the popular vote in Michigan. The defendants in the case are Michigan Governor Whitmer, Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, and Michigan Board of State Canvassers. Unlike the lawsuit in Georgia, where Dominion was barely mentioned, the Michigan lawsuit pointed to multiple irregularities due to Dominion voting system software being used to secure and tabulate the vote. The lawsuit alleges proof that there were multiple violations in Michigan's election code and the elections, the election electors clause and equal protection clause of the U.S. Constitution due to massive voter fraud. The civil action claims to have affidavits of dozens of eyewitnesses and statistical anomalies and mathematical impossibilities detailed in the affidavit of expert witnesses. The state, the suit claims that the intent to defraud our elections was done by illegally and fraudulently manipulating the vote count to manufacture an election of Joe Biden as the president of the United States. The suit also alleges the conduct in questions occurred throughout the state at the direction of Michigan state election officials. But the most egregious range of conduct was in Wayne County and the city of Detroit. And that's where we saw a lot of the contention when we saw, we had the issue where the four canvassers, two Republican, two Democrat, I guess should say, far left-wing Democrats, <clears throat> where basically the two Republicans uh, originally said they weren't going to certify it, got pressured by the two left-wing radical canvassers, and they acquiesced to the pressure, but then came back and said, no, wait a minute, we don't want to. Um, so we've got um, 
just here it goes on the egregious range of conduct in question was systemic adaption of old-fashioned ballot stuffing that has now been amplified and rendered virtually invisible by computer software we now know to be the dominion software so dominion they're in an overall panic on this, by the way. Michigan spent $25 million to use the Dominion software uh, program. Now, whether Dominion is, was egregious in this, you know, I, I did the episode on Dominion, the connection between Smartmatic uh, and, and, you know, far left-wing organizations. So, you know, because there is a connection to George Soros and Smartmatic, which I've discussed before. Lord Malik Brown, who's the chairman of Smartmatic, sits on several boards director to Soros. Soros hates this uh, hates our government hates our way of government i guess is what i really should say they would rather us have a closed society in this free market capitalist and we're a blended market by the way so so from the article eyewitness testimony and the dominion whistleblower report said there were a direct witness to the creation operation of an electronic voting system in a conspiracy between a company known as smartmatic with the Venezuelan government. The, so the software from Smartmatic, Sequoia, was to create and operate a voting system that could change the votes in elections from votes against persons running the Venezuelan government to votes in their favor in order to maintain control of the government. So let's talk about that one. So people are saying they're crazy by trying to tie this into Smartmatic. If you listen to my previous episode of how Dominion is connected to Smartmatic, and it really is through the guy who's in charge of the, the software development, Eric Coomer. It makes sense what they're saying right here. So he came from Sequoia. He was part of the furniture and the acquisition that from Dominion buying Smartmatic, and they were buying it from, I'm sorry, not buying Smartmatic, buying Sequoia. Dominion buying Sequoia was primarily buying it from Smartmatic. I know the records don't show that because the records aren't really clear. What we see in that Smartmatic, uh, where uh, Sequoia purchased itself from Smartmatic, you still had Smartmatic controlling the financial levers of the company. And they did this because there was a big brouhaha in Chicago between some voting regularities, and they needed to divest themselves of the issue of Sequoia and election fraud in America. And they needed to divest themselves of the potential tie to Venezuela and Hugo Chavez. So Sequoia sold itself to itself. Its management allegedly bought it with some other investors with some still serious financial ties to Smartmatic. And then in 2010, Dominion bought Smartmatic. And with that, they got the employees, one being, as I mentioned, Eric Coomer. And he's the one who writes the software. So they've got a point here. Whether they can prove it in a court of law, that's the big question. But I mean, just from my little bit of research, it was easy to pull this all together. But in a court of law, you've got to have a victim. You've got to have someone who's at a loss of something. Now, in this case, and I read some of the um, affidavits in the Georgia filing that the people were actual, uh, a lot of more designated to be electors. And I guess the idea is that they were denied them being electors by the vote being fraudulently cast or won. Which, okay, I see that. So it, <clears throat> now from the article, it goes, if this sounds eerily familiar, you aren't the only one that feels this way. Sidney Powell's lawsuit alleges that a core requirement of the Smartmatic software design ultimately adopted by Dominion for the Michigan election was the software ability, uh, software's ability to hide its manipulation of votes from any audit. So what they're getting at here 
is all those ballot dumps in the wee hours of the morning. And I think Wayne, I think in the uh, Wayne County one, it happened at like 4.30 in the morning where they dumped like 100 plus thousand ballots. So what they were doing, what Sidney Powell is alleging here is that the, the, tab, the voter tabulations between the ballots are going to be correct when you count them. If you do a hand count, which you're seeing already, because they brought in fraudulent ballots. So it'll match up what's going on in the system. So the, the, the allegation is that someone was watching what was going on. They saw Trump winning by a landslide. And then all of a sudden, they had to bring in all these ballots so it would show up in the tabulations. They could easily move it in the system. And by the way, Eric Coomer, there's a video out there, Eric Coomer, showing, telling people that, yes, that can be done. So the suit alleges that since the machines were hooked up to the internet, any unauthorized user has the opportunity to arbitrarily add, modify, or remove log entries, causing the machine to log election events that do not reflect actual voting tabulations. They can add or take away votes on a whim for whichever candidate they want. So it's a pretty serious allegation. And it's going to be, I hate to admit, it's going to be very, very hard to prove. Now they've got, again, a bunch of testimonies and affidavits. That is evidence. That is evidence. Now, as I record this, the, we haven't heard what either court's going to do yet for both Georgia and for both Michigan. So from the article here, one expert, Russell James Ramsland, uh, claims in the suit that Dominion alone is responsible for the injection or fabrica fabrication of 289,866 illegal votes in Michigan. If this is found to be true, this witness alone would have found enough votes to flip Michigan's election back to the president. So although Dominion software plays a heavy role in the lawsuit, the complaint also cites additional categories of traditional voting fraud and Michigan election code violations, supplemented by healthy doses of harassment, intimidation, discrimination, abuse, and even physical removal of Republican poll challengers to eliminate any semblance of transparency, objectivity, uh, and fairness for or from the vote counting process. The suit states that there were three categories of illegal conduct by election workers in collaboration with other state, county, and or city employees and Democratic poll watchers and activists. So they're claiming there's fraud in the system and there's claiming there were illegal behaviors in the system. So uh, what they want from this now is what is it all about? Okay, she's filed all this. Um, <clears throat> we've got the suits. In, they're, they're in court. Now what? What happens? We got all the affidavits filed, so it's going to go to court. The, the, honestly, the court has to decide whether or not they're going to see this. The court does not have to hear this case. The court can say there's nothing of merit in here and toss it out. This has happened uh, in a lot of other cases and people bringing up lawsuits to, for this election. We've had several lawsuits brought, brought in not by the Trump administration, because you keep hearing this 33 or whatever number, but a lot of those were not by Trump, not by the Trump team. They were by other people like Sidney Powell's independent. So she's filing this independent of the Trump team. 
And the article goes on, but the most egregious claim in the suit, in my humble opinion, that's from the author, is that Michigan election workers allegedly allowed unsecured ballots to arrive at the TFC Center loading garage, not in sealed ballot boxes, without any chain of custody, without envelopes, after the 8 p.m. election day deadline. In particular, the tens of thousands of ballots that arrived on November 4th, 2020. So what's going on here? <clears throat> Is the ultimate, by the way, it says here the immediate action the lawsuit wants from the court is to immediately decertify the election results to stop Governor Whitmer and the Secretary of State from transmitting the, the currently certified election results uh, and instead order Governor Whitmer to transmit certified election results that state that President Donald Trump, the winner of the election. So can that happen? Well, of course it can happen. Will it happen? Most likely not. But what they're doing, it's a stall tactic. We got 15 days as uh, I record this, and I'm recording this on a Sunday. 15 days. Uh, so if you're listening to this on Monday, we got two weeks. So in two weeks, the, the electoral college meets and they vote. Come high water or not, no matter who, what, if some states aren't certified, those states aren't going to be part of the process. So there's, again, it goes back to where I see is the strategy going on here with the Trump administration and surrogates like a Cindy Powell is they need to flip some states, they need to prevent other states. Michigan has the biggest challenge as far as vote deficits. There's like 146,000, I believe, that Biden leads in Trump. And if they can get Michigan to hold off on this and tangle it up in court and they don't get to send their electors to the Electoral College, I believe that is 16 electors in Michigan. Yeah, 16 electors in Michigan. They won't get the vote. They won't be part of the Electoral College. That, that get, that's one step closer to denying Biden 270 to win. So you got two strategies going on here simultaneously. You got the one strategy of flipping states and the other strategy of preventing them from going to the Electoral College. And I got to tell you, I mean, it, this is absolutely unprecedented in our lifetimes. This has happened. We, this, this is not unprecedented in our nation. Our Constitution in the United States is so well written that it, um, it, it, it has a plan for when these challenges happen. I mean, it, there's a very well-drawn-out plan if any of this happens. So what we're seeing is not a constitutional crisis. I mentioned this before. It would be a constitutional crisis if it gets to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court does not follow the law of the Constitution. It would be a constitutional crisis if, you know, we were a banana public, which we're heading to if we can't resolve this issue. Uh, but our Constitution is written well enough to where oh, there's a plan. And by December 14th, December 14th, the electorals will meet, the electoral college meets, and they're going to vote for president no matter who, which state's there or not. That's not the issue of the electoral college. The electoral college's role is not to get the states there. The electoral college's role is to count the votes that are there. And if a state can't get their state there, well, that's on that state. They just will not be part of the electoral college vote. And those electoral votes will not go to either of the candidates. So you got two strategies. And let's talk about Georgia right now. So this one, I'm reading this article out of News Punch, where in uh, the headline is, Crack and Release, Sidney Powell Files Bombshell Lawsuit Alleging Massive Fraud in Georgia and Michigan. 
So uh, let's see. We'll get to the Kraken came down to Georgia on this Thanksgiving Eve in the form of a 104-page bombshell complaint exposing massive fraud that overwhelmed the 2020 Georgia elections. Georgia, you are most certainly on our minds linked to the filing. So you can go read it. It's all over the place. But here's what they're doing here in Georgia. They're trying to get 96,000 votes tossed. These 96,000 votes, here's what... uh, in the article, it's kind of just goes bullet by bullet by bullet of what Powell is asking for in the suit. So for these reasons, plaintiffs ask this court to enter a judgment in their favor and provide the following emergency relief. Uh, an order directing Ju- Governor Kemp, Secretary Raffensperger, and the Georgia State Board of Elections to decertify the election results. Number two, an order enjoining Governor Kemp from transmitting the currently certified election results to the Electoral College. See what I'm talking about right there, about preventing things from getting to the Electoral College. This one goes on a little differently. Number three, an order requiring Governor Kemp to transmit certified election results that state that President Donald Trump is the winner of the election. Number four, an immediate order to impound all the voting machines and software in Georgia for expert inspection by the plaintiffs. Uh, that is crucial because right now, who knows what's going on with those machines? They're not protected right now. Number five, an order that no votes received or tabulated by machines that were not certified as required by federal and state law be counted. Let me read that one again. And number five, an order that no votes, no votes received or tabulated by machines that were not certified as required by the federal and state law be counted. As we start getting into getting votes tossed. Number six, a declaratory judgment declaring that Georgia Secretary of State Rule 183-1-14-0.9-0.15 violates the electorals and elections clause. And I haven't looked up in that one, so I apologize about that. Number seven, a declaratory, a declaratory judgment declaring that Georgia's failed system of signature verification violates the electors and election clause by working a de facto abolition of Abolition, 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 thank you. Abolition of the signature, thank you, Woody, I appreciate that. Abolition of the signature verification requirement. A declaration judgment declaring that the current certified election results violates the due process clause, U.S. Constitution Amendment 14. Number nine, a declaratory judgment declaring that mail-in and absentee ballot fraud must be remedied with a full manual recount or statistically valid sampling that properly verifies the signature signatures and absentee ballot envelopes and that invalidates the current results if the recount or sampling analysis shows a sufficient number of ineligible absentee ballots were counted. And there's more. There's way more. Number 10, an emergency declaratory judgment that voting machines be seized and impounded immediately for a forensic audit by plaintiff's experts. Number 11, a declaratory judgment declaring absentee ballot fraud occurred in violation of constitutional rights, election laws, and under state law. Uh, Number 12, a permanent injunction prohibiting the governor and secretary of state from transmitting the currently certified results to the Electoral College based on the overwhelming evidence of election tampering. Number 13, immediate production of 36 hours of security camera recording of all rooms used in the voting process at State Farm Arena in Fulton County, Georgia from 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. until 6 p.m. on November 
Third, and number 14, plaintiffs further request the court grant such other relief as if just and proper, including but not limited to the cost of this action and their reasonable attorney fees and expenses pursuant to 42 U.S.C. 1988. So that's what... Powell is asking for in the Georgia uh, declaration or the Georgia lawsuit. So both of the lawsuits now go in front of a judge. The courts don't need to see it. They, they're not obligated to see it. They can look at it, say there's not enough merit on this, and they toss it. That has happened. That could happen with these. We don't know. These are pretty high profile, but I don't think a judge is going to care about that. So now it's up to whether or not the judge is going to see it. If the judge decides to, then Sidney Powell and her people, her team, go present all the evidence that they have. Now, I'll use Georgia as kind of the example. We've got 14 declarations here that they're asking. They're asking for 14 different declarations, right? The judge can say yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. They don't have to say yes to all of them. They can say yes to some of them. That's why you hear some of these things sound so much alike. So it's just, you know, at this point in time, it's going to, it's caught up in that court, that legalese, that mumbo jumbo. And whether you know what's right or wrong in your heart, it doesn't matter because it's going to be handled in the courts. So you've got these two massive lawsuits filed in both Michigan and Georgia. Now then on the, on the other side of what the Trump team is doing the Trump team is going, you know, full forward with filing lawsuits as well to get this to the Supreme Court. Now, they're waiting to see the results from the recount in Georgia. They're waiting to see the results from the recount in Wisconsin. And once those results come in, if they don't overturn the, the numbers, then they can file suit. And then it goes to the lower court. The lower court, if you see, here's the thing, um, why it's important that the lower court actually says no. I know, I know, it's weird, right? This this whole thing is just, it's an all, you know, dealing with the legal system is about as frustrating as frustrating can be. And I'm trying to take a very broad layman's approach to this, but let's use what happened recently in Pennsylvania. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court tossed out another Trump um, lawsuit. Rudy Giuliani thanked the judge for expediting it so quickly and the reason he thanked the judge for expediting so quickly is now the next step is to appeal and it appeals to the supreme court of the united states because if it didn't let's say the judge ruled in trump's favor and this is what a lot of people don't get let's say that judge ruled in the favor of trump's legal team well now they've got to go through the process that takes time remember we're fighting the clock here and let's say that they win the Trump team wins. Now the Biden team comes in and they, they file an appeal with the lower court. Then the lower court has to see that appeal, hear all those arguments and those reasonings, and that takes time, time that we don't have. We're fighting the clock. So no matter who wins in the lower court, unless one side's just going to roll over and play dead, which is not likely, it goes to the Supreme Court. That's what happened in Bush v. Gore. So in Bush v. Gore in 2000, um, the Gore campaign was the one that actually sued, and, uh, and then the, the Bush campaign lost in the lower court. And on appeal, the Bush campaign, or actually it was the Bush campaign that actually sued because the Gore campaign wanted to count just certain counties. They just wanted to count certain counties, leftist counties. They didn't want to count all of them. Well, the Bush campaign 
filed suit against that in the Florida Supreme Court. I don't know which court it started in, but it got to the Florida Supreme Court. The Florida Supreme Court ruled in favor of Gore and the Bush team filed an appeal with the Supreme Court of the United States and it got to the Supreme Court and they won in the Supreme Court. So if the Trump team files a a case in the lower courts and they win, now the Biden team could come in there and file an appeal. And again, all this takes more time. So it's it's better for the lower courts to just go ahead, throw it out now. So the Trump team can go ahead and file their appeal and get this to the Supreme Court. Rudy Giuliani said just the other day, it's, it's, it's about which case gets to the Supreme Court. Doesn't, all these other cases that keep getting tossed doesn't matter. He says it's about getting the right case to the Supreme Court. So that's what their strategy is. So with Sidney Powell, she's again working independently. So she's not working with the Trump team. Her strategy is to get these, things, these, lower, these states to act to address these issues and because these are major major issues and i know in georgia they're not really focused on this sequoia or not sequoia i'm sorry the dominion voting machines but they should in my opinion because eric coomer doing that software upgrade on you know that was discussed in that september 28 article at the atlanta journal constitution uh that invalidates the certification of the machines in my opinion now my opinion doesn't mean anything but if you're going to present the machines to the state, they're certified, and then there's an issue, the state should go in there and recertify them. Now, does that fall on Dominion's lap, or does that fall into the state of Georgia's lap? To me, that falls on the state of Georgia. Brad Refsenberger should have recertified the machines. They should have went through those machines to make sure that nothing else was added to them. We know Eric Coomer is not a good actor. We can see that he is incredibly biased against this president, incredibly biased. And again, I'm not talking about the alleged phone call with Antifa. I'm talking about his own Facebook postings. So what does all this mean? Where does all this go? We're going to know in the next few days because we got um, about two weeks left until everything goes to the Electoral College. And there's also another cutoff date, a December 8th target date, where the states have to get everything done by. But again, that hard date is December 14th. December 14th is when the Electoral College meets. And until that happens, all this is up in the air. So this week coming up is going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal week if you love this stuff, because we're going to see just... Uh, we're going to see so much stuff flying around. Now let's, let's talk about that Pennsylvania thing real quick. Uh, just last week, you know, we had the um, uh, Pennsylvania hearing and I know a lot of people are, are the left. I shouldn't say a lot of people on the left were saying that wasn't a hearing. Well, it absolutely was a hearing. You had the Georgia uh, Pennsylvania legislator, I'm not the Georgia, I'm sorry, the GOP uh, Republican Pennsylvania legislators uh, in a, in a hearing and they were, and then Rudy Giuliani and his team, Jenna Ellis, presented affidavit, affidavit, story after story. If you were watching it uh, like me or if you went back and watched it like I did, you were like going, oh, my gosh. The amount of issues coming out of Pencil, that hearing, it's like, I know it was all one-sided. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I know, I know, I know, I know it's just, you know, it was, it was all from the Republican side. But if just half of that was true, just half of that was true, uh, it's, it's, it's just, 
um, it's unconscionable that this is going on in our country. It's just hard to believe that we're here. And I think one of the heroes out of that hearing was Senator Doug Mastriano. If you're not familiar with this guy, he was absolutely amazing. He chaired this. He's a former uh, retired U.S. colonel. Uh, he is a PhD, he holds a Ph.D., very highly educated man, I believe, elected to the state office in 2019. But he was the one, and I'm going to end this today with a video from him. And it's a fairly long video, but I highly encourage you to watch it. But let me go through some of the highlights that happened in that Pennsylvania hearing, because I think this is the game changer in Pennsylvania. So you got Michigan, you got the lawsuits in Michigan, you got the lawsuits in Georgia, you got the recount in Wisconsin. And in Pennsylvania, you got the Republican legislatures have now banded together and are asking for the state legislatures to get the power, retain the power to select the um, electors. And so what that means is um, if they select electors, because remember, there is no, nowhere written in the Constitution of the United States that you or I have a right to vote for the president of the United States. That's all left up to the state legislators. So the Republican state legislators, which I believe are the majority in Pennsylvania, are asking to uh, get that power. They've, they've set in motion to get that power back or to get that power, and they will be the ones that select electors that go to the Electoral College. And if they do that, they will, re they will select Republican electors, and that state is how those 20 electorals could go to Trump. So, yeah, there's a lot at play here, but let's go through some of the highlights of what's going on or what happened. So they basically start off with all we ask is you listen to the facts that we're presenting the, and then evaluate it. So several witnesses appeared in person to describe voting irregularities they witnessed as they were prevented from meaningful access to the voter process. Republicans were uniformly not allowed, kept out, put in shoots like they were cows to keep them away from seeing these ballots, Giuliani explained. Other witnesses explained that thousands of ballots were counted in secret as they were kept out of the room. That's illegal, by the way. Uh, Leah Hopes from Delaware County, Pennsylvania, said she served as a poll worker for three straight nights as, as the results came in. And what became a concern was the back room, which had no observers, no line of sight or transparency in the process. There was no cooperation, complete resistance from election night to every day after, she said. Uh, a couple other highlights coming from there. We've stuck our necks out, been intimidated, threatened, bullied, have spent countless hours away from our family, friends, of jobs, she said during the hearing. Uh, attorney Justin Quader, K-W-E-D-E-R, a certified canvas observer, said he returned as an election observer for 10 days at the Philadelphia Convention Center. He said that Republican observers were kept between 10 and 200 feet away from the election counting process. It was impossible for me or any observer to see what the workers were doing with any type of specificity. He raised concerns about more than five thousand damaged mail-in ballots that were duplicated by poll workers. Other witnesses appear video uh, teleconferencing to talk about their concerns with illegal pre-canvassing as Democrat counties contacted work voters to help cure their ballots so that they would be counted. Uh, one election observer testified that a poll worker repeatedly cursed at her and threatened to slap her in the face 
once you tried to verify some of the steps in the voting process. Giuliani also brought an election security specialist to talk about the voting systems in the United States. Uh, the expert questioned the anomaly of reporting spikes in the voting counts for Biden late in the evening as a prime indicator of voter fraud. Uh, he claimed that there was a discrepancy around 700,000 ballots between the number of mail-in ballots sent out and the mail-in ballots that were received. The audience laughed and gasped. This is the part that you probably saw in shock as the expert noted a point when a spike of votes recorded in Pennsylvania had 600,000 votes for Biden and only 3,200 for Trump. And it goes on and on and on like that. It's like unbelievable how bad this was. You know, this isn't the first time this happens. This is, this is one of those things where this kind of shenanigans have probably been going on forever. So you got this in tandem with what's going on with the election voting system through Dominion. And it's no wonder. It's just no wonder we have the issues and the anomalies that we have now. This, in my opinion, is election fraud come to a head in the United States of America. And it's, in my opinion, election fraud that needs to end. Hopefully, and I hate using that word hopefully because it is a wishy-washy word, we have learned from this and we as a nation will not let this happen again, both right and left. We should not let voter fraud uh, go become any way normal in our country otherwise we will be a banana republic and that's where we're heading if none of this is resolved the list of anomalies in this election uh, are so many that it's just i mean there are so many anomalies i can do i can go hours and hours and hours on the anomalies and i'll probably do another episode targeting those anomalies this one i wanted to talk about the two lawsuits filed and what happened in Pennsylvania with that hearing, because I think it's just so important that we all realize just how precious our elections are and how at this point in time, we are in such uncharted waters. And I want to end uh, today, this episode, this segment with a clip from, uh, Douglas, Senator Douglas Mastriano, how he closed the hearings last week. And uh, it's a long clip. It's about five minutes long. But I think what he says in this sums up so perfectly as, as to why, whether you're right, you're on the right, whether you're on the left, that we need to take this seriously and that we need to flesh out any irregularities. Because if we let this stand, without going through the process of verifying all of this or, or changing the results be based on fraud or, I guess, validating there's no fraud, we're a banana republic. I've said it before. I'll say it again before I play this clip for you. If Biden won, great. If he won legitimately, great. President Trump has said the same thing. If he can validate all those 80 million votes, I mean, absolutely, he's the president of the United States. But there's too many questions. There's too many anomalies that I have to believe in order for this to be a legitimate election. There's way too many. And um, uh, Doug, Doug Mastriano sums it up, I think, just so well here. Thank you for being willing to use your committee to do this hearing. So we pulled the trigger yesterday morning around 9 a.m. and look what happened here. And as Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Guess what? Guess what? <laughs> the truth's out there. 
Uh, media, you should have found these witnesses. You need to do your job. Now you see them out here. Do your job. You're essential to this republic, and without you doing your job, instead of being partisan hacks, this republic can't stand. So now you, you got some information, you got some witnesses with courage. These people are heroes to me. As a retired Army colonel, I look at them and I say, you guys are outstanding. Thanks for being a little step up. Because I am cognizant that the so-called tolerant people on the left will not show much love or tolerance to people they disagree with. And so thank you for standing, because you, you're on the, your warriors being able on, uh, to sta stand for and save this republic. So thank you for going forward here. I mean, indeed, I started this off quoting from John Adams. We are in Adams County. You know, facts are stubborn things. Uh, there's a lot of hard facts out there, and guess what? As history and change in 1863 in Gettysburg back then, it's July 1st, 2nd, 3rd. So on this day, history is changing for our country and state back at Gettysburg once again. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know how this happened in America. We, we could send 50 years ago, you know, men to, to the moon, but we can't have a safe, secure election in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. What's going on here? It's got to be by design because we have the technology. We have stealth aircraft that are the envy of the world, but we can't run a, an election better than Afghanistan. Congressman Perry, you and I are in Afghanistan, and I don't know how in the heck Afghanistan has more secure, safe elections than Pennsylvania does. I mean, beam me up, Scotty. There's no sign of intelligent life anywhere. Really. We move heaven and earth with American dollars to secure elections in Iraq and Afghanistan and elsewhere. We can't do it in our own state. It's by design. There's people in Pennsylvania not interested in safe, secure elections, and we have to correct this. There's two things that need to, ha need to happen. First off, we need to make sure the, the real winner is sent forth from this, this presidential election. And number two... <laughs> Number two, we need to fix this. It doesn't happen ever again. You know, I can't believe, I can't believe we're having this conversation here in Pennsylvania. You know, this is the kind of stuff I hear about that goes on in Belarus under Lukashenko or in Russia under Putin, under, under Saddam Hussein's Iraq. Really? Here in our state? I mean, this is disgusting to me. You know, I watched when I was uh, in, doing strategy in Russia, you know, Putin's about people stuffing ballot boxes. The same thing that happened in Pennsylvania. When I saw that 15, 20 years ago, I was like, well, thank God we're not like that. What happened? What happened? And we're not going to let it stand. <laughs> you know, I saw, uh, you have to forgive people because we are a constitutional republic, so I'll forgive those that say democracy. But I saw one man had a sign in Philadelphia, and the irony wasn't lost on me. Democracy dies in Philadelphia. Can you imagine the irony of that? You know, where the light of liberty was lit in 1776, it transformed this world where, in this very same state, a new birth of freedom. And then, of course, let's not forget 2001, Tom, Todd Beamer, let's roll. You know what? It's our time to roll. This is no time. You know, democracy can die in darkness, in dark rooms with no transparency and accountability. We're shining light on this darkness here. We're going to take our state back. We're not standing aside in this hour. You know, as Representative Metcalf rightly said, in 1994, there was so much shenanigans and cheating in the Marks versus Stinson case that a federal district judge threw out the election results, took a senator out of Harrisburg, state senator, and put the Republican in because the election results were so corrupted. 
So we do have a precedent here, federal courts, and I hope you take a hard look at that here. Has our election results in Pennsylvania at the presidential and other levels been so corrupted that the results have to be thrown out? That's going to be a, a case you're going to have to make before the Supreme Court there, but it sure sounds like something stinks in Denmark or in Philadelphia. I don't know. You know, one vote. One person, one legal vote per person, and any cheating goes in there disenfranchises an American. And I can't believe this is happening here, and we're not going to let it stand. I don't know why it's so hard. You know, I know, I know it's, it's, it's hard because this has been going on here for a lot longer than we imagine. But in Galatians 6.9, we're told by St. Paul, grow not weary doing good, because in due time you'll reap your harvest. We're going to reap our harvest. <laughs> The time for dithering, <laughs> the time for dithering and deliberation is over. It's time for decisive action. We have to protect our commonwealth and our nation. The eyes of the world are upon us. And let's turn the commonwealth of Pennsylvania from a laughing stock to the pride of the world once again, as we have always had been and need to be again. This is our day, this is our hour, this is our time. So yes, Mr. Franklin, a republic, if you can keep it, we're gonna keep it. Can you keep it? Can you, will you? We're gonna keep the republic. Thank you, and God bless you all. Amen, brother. Amen. That, that is uh, an inspirational speech. I mean, that, he's absolutely right, and as you, you saw him point to Rudy Giuliani and say, you're, you may have to take this or you're taking this to the Supreme Court, that's where it needs to go. If that's what it needs to happen, that's what needs to happen. If in order for us to get this reset, if that's what's going to happen, that's going to happen. So it's up to us to fight. Because remember, I've said this last week in an article I mentioned written by David Horowitz. We are at war here with the radical left. They don't care. Everything that the senator there just said is decent, honest, and right. The left don't care. Thank you for listening to this segment of the PBL Podcast, Politics and Brown Liquor. Good to be back. We'll get our sea legs here going uh, again, and there is so much more to talk about. We got two weeks roundabout until the Electoral College meets, and there are going to be fireworks happening in these coming days. You watch and see. There is so much going on right now. It's an amazing time to be alive, ladies and gentlemen. You are witnessing history right before your eyes. Again, thanks for listening to this segment of PBL Podcast Politics and Brown Liquor.